We are now moving on in chapter 2 of James to uh, verse 14 to the end of the chapter. Just before we read it, I'd just like to maybe do a little recap um, from last week. The, the theme that we've been looking at really is just our uh, response to our salvation. The, what we read earlier in James about the implanted word of God that's in our souls. The implanted word. <coughs> the very fact that it's divine. That when we accept Christ as our saviour, we are given this opportunity, this revelation, this uh, ability, <coughs> which is God-given. And that is that we have implanted into our souls the Word, the Word of God. <laughs> that it's one of these things that we talked about before that um, we can sometimes hide, if you like, behind the fact that we don't understand things. Uh, we can't understand all there is in the Bible. We don't understand sometimes when people minister to us and we can't follow it. Because we have the Holy Spirit within us and because we have the implanted word in our soul, then the, the ability is there for us to have revealed to us if we are willing. It's implanted. It needs to take root. And what we were thinking about last week was the taking root of the things of God in our soul. That is our responsibility as Christians. That's our responsibility as people who are now alive unto God. And we were being asked by James to look in the mirror, uh, to be looking in the mirror at ourselves, at our sinful person. Don't forget that we are sinners. Don't forget where we come from. Don't forget what we have been saved from. Don't forget our inheritance in the future. This is something we need to focus on because we struggle. Everybody struggles in this world fighting against the flesh and fighting to do the things that God would desire us to do. So with these things in mind, then we come to the next part and I'd like us to be thinking about motivation. What is it that motivates us? Because these things are difficult. Sometimes it's easier not to bother. So we'll just read from chapter 14. And remembering that this is all being directed to Christians. This is being directed to people who have accepted Christ as their saviour. So have that in mind as we read the next few verses. So verse 14 of chapter 2. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give him what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. 
Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I think um, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 7 that says that you will know them by their fruit. And it's making reference to the obvious maybe that um, if you have a tree that's uh, a bad tree, then it's going to give bad fruit. And if you have a good tree, you expect good fruit. If you have a plum tree, you expect plums. You don't expect something else. It's the same in our Christian lives. If we as born again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are alive, I am alive in Christ, then what fruit is God expecting from me as a tree? As a tree that's alive, that's had the implanted word in me. And that is the theme of what's been, that James is writing here is that what is expected is works. There's no point in having faith without works. It's a bit like having a tree that's got no fruit. What's the point of having a fruit tree if it doesn't produce fruit? What is the fruit that the Lord is looking for? I think, um, could we just turn to Matthew? Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8 like to link that in with what we've just read. Just the beginning of the chapter. It's the two instances where Jesus cleanses the leper and also the centurion's faith. And reading from verse 1, and when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and bowed down to him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his rep leprosy was cleansed. This is the bit i just like us to consider. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded for a testimony to them. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, entreating him and saying, Lord, my servant 
is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said to him, and the Lord said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and the west, recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness in the place, in that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. I think the first part of that was um, the thinking that why did Jesus say to him, to the leper, to go to the priest and ask the priest to do the check um, and according to the law of Moses for a testimony to them. I think, it, you know, when you think that when Jesus healed that man, he was healed. There was no question about it. His leprosy had gone. It was the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ that was on him. So what was the purpose of going to the priest? The purpose of going to the priest was for man, because so mankind could check in order to get confirmation. You and I have a faith. We have faith because we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour. God knows that. You know that. But does anybody else know that? Because there is a necessity, is there not, for there to be confirmation of our salvation. And I think this is what James is revealing here, is that there's a necessity that we're not, there's not a contradiction between what you read in Romans, that you are justified by faith. That is about the unbeliever becoming a believer. You become a believer, you're justified by faith, you accept Christ as your saviour, you are born again. There's no question about that. And Paul goes through that in great detail in Romans um, chapters 5 and 8, I think it is, and many other places where that is quite clear. It seems like a contradiction here that James is saying, no, 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 you need works. This is in reference to your Christian life not to your salvation. What's the point of having faith if there's no works? That's what he starts off by saying in this section. Can that faith save him? To save your Christian life, to be a person of worth that's producing fruit, that's giving to God, then you need works. If you've just got, if you say, I believe in God, then that's fine. The demons say that as well. Because they're not stupid. <laughs> they believe in God. But where does that leave us? Are you somebody, 
or am I somebody who is just content in their faith? That are just uh, happy to know I'm going to heaven. Happy to know that I have been saved through grace. I have this faith. But everybody else looking around me saying, well, David King, I don't see any evidence of that. Then my faith is dead. It's a dead faith. I'm going to heaven, but I'm not doing anything. You read in 1 Corinthians 3 that our works are going to be trialed by fire. That we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We talked a little bit about that last week. We are going to stand and give an account. We are going to stand before the Lord and that gold, silver and stones and wood, hay and stubble will be judged by fire. That is all our lives. What we have done from the point that we have accepted Christ as our saviour. In faith. So where is your works, David? What have you done for me? Let's look at it out, open it up. And it's like fire. What survives the fire will be given as a reward. If there's nothing survives, then there's been no works. Now, I was thinking earlier on about, well, what is it that motivates us? Should it be reward that motivates us? Well, it doesn't seem right that somehow, does it? Should the motivation not be a deeper knowledge and understanding of what the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us from? We talked before about that, that God the Father is the giver of all things. He has given us life eternal. We have the faith of Jesus Christ. And we have the indwelling Holy Spirit where you see the triune God at work in our lives. The giver, the Father, the, the faith of Christ in our souls. And the indwelling Holy Spirit who gives us the power, the understanding, and the means in which to live as Christians. So when it comes to motivation, what is it that stops us from actually living a fruitful life? I would suggest, and maybe this is something we can discuss um, at a later date, is it's a lack of understanding of who Christ is, a lack of appreciation of what he's done, or a lack of understanding of where we were actually going and what was actually going to happen to us before Christ intervened. Because if we don't have that um, appreciation, then are we really going to be motivated you know, there are many people in this country, and James was referring to many of the Jews, uh, and the Lord referred to them as well, who think that because they were Jews, because they were the sons and daughters of Abraham, that somehow they had a right to the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord taught them and said, that, no, that's not the case. That there's people going to come from the east and the west, and he's talking about Gentiles, I think, coming from the east and the west to join the Jews at this table with Abraham. 
But there are certain people there that are going to be cast out to the outer darkness. Why? Because they thought that they, by believing in God, gave them a right to eternal life, to the kingdom of heaven. That's not the case. Even the demons believe in God. Believing in God doesn't get you to heaven. It's faith in the understanding and appreciation of what Christ has done for us. And then by their fruit, you shall know them. How do you know a Christian? How do people know you as a, are a Christian? Should they not see the fruit? What is the fruit? Again, I think there's a misconception that, well, you've got to work hard. You know, the guy that does the most work, that comes to the, the hall the most times, or is involved with <coughs> the most committed, or is involved with the most physical activities, is the person who is working. That is not what this means. We have to show forth the beauties of Christ. That's the works it's talking about. If, if people don't see the fruit on our tree, <coughs> then there's something wrong. Why are we not showing Christ if we're not? And how much fruit is on our tree? I think um, looking at the leper, going back to him, there was a necessity, not that he had got his leprosy cleansed, but he needed to go and prove it. And people needed to see it. And the priest needed to say, yeah, I've checked him out. And, uh, and the law of Moses was that they had to wait a certain time outside the gate, and then they would come back for a second check. And if they were still clean, then they would get a certificate or some means of proof that they were clean and that they could now come back in and live amongst the society. It didn't mean that he, hadn't, he wasn't clean in the first place. You and I have accepted Christ as our saviour, but there's a necessity, and this is what James is saying, that we need to work now. You need to put into action your faith, because people need to see it. You need to prove it. You go on to thinking that the reference there was about Abraham. Um, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Now that might be strange. You think, well, isn't justification through faith? How did Abraham get justified through works? You remember the time when the Lord took Abraham out and he showed him the stars in the sky and he said to him about the the sand of the seashore, he says, so shall your offspring be. Um, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And it says that Abraham believed God. It was a faith. Abraham believed God. Who knew about it? It was only God and Abraham. Nobody else knew about it. But that was a faith. And God reckoned that Abraham as righteousness so God Abraham was righteous in the eyes of God 
But what about me? And this is where you then come to the bit, well, when the Lord says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him up as a sacrifice. And, uh, and of course, this is something that is so foreign to us, isn't it? To think that God would do that. But remember, he's already justified in the sight of God. But when we read this, and we think about what Abraham actually, how he responded to God, to take his son, and the faith in the man was seen in action, that he was prepared to offer up Isaac. It seems by his action, and although it was, if you like, a private thing, we can read about it now, and we can see, well, he was justified by his actions because he was prepared to take Isaac, he was prepared to tie him up, put him on an altar, and he was, just, he was going to kill him. Why? Because his faith was such, and it was seen in action, that he knew that, well, if he did kill Isaac, God would somehow bring him back to life again. Or God would do something, because he believed that God will fulfill his promise. And there you're seeing the action of a man who loved God. He's already justified. How does that fit with us? Well, what James is saying here is that we've accepted Christ as our saviour. We have faith. Now, how do we respond? What is it the world sees? Do they see our faith in action? Abraham is a great extreme but he then talks about Rahab. And you might think, well, here's a, another instance, but it was of lesser faith, maybe. But here's a woman who is being, was asked by God to betray her nation. So that's, that's no little thing either. That because she believed in God, because of her faith, her actions proved them. And I suppose what James is now saying here is, what actions are we doing in our lives that prove our faith, that justify our faith? We can say we have faith. We can say we are born-again Christians. And people will say, yeah, yeah, prove it. By their fruit shall you know them. When it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, what I believe happens is that, that our God is a just God. He is a God who is going to reward justly. And each one of us is not going to have any argument when it comes to reward or when it comes to position. I don't think we should ever fall into the trap of thinking it's just sufficient to get to heaven and like the, we talk about the, the thief on the cross type of thing he got there by the skin of his teeth why are we not motivated to desire to be in the inner sanctuary of heaven maybe that's because we don't appreciate that there is such a place. There's references in the scriptures about the outer darkness. And 
in, in a number of cases it clearly, uh, I believe, is referring to the unbeliever as being cast out to a place of darkness where uh, away from the light of being with Christ in heaven. But I think there's also a reference to it when it's talking um, about Christians. And of course, the, the, the parable of the sower and the seed is a very good expression of that, where you look at the seed, the seed is being sown, and it's being sown in all these hearts that you read about of the sower and the, the good ground and the thorny ground and the stony ground and all the rest of it. But where's the fruit come from? It comes from the seed that's planted in the good ground. And so it will be in heaven that there is going to be places, I believe, I have no idea what it's definitely going to be like, but I imagine it's going to be in closer association with Christ. That the good ground, the fruitful Christian, the one who has given their life for Christ, will be closest to him. And that there's an outer darkness away from him, away from the light, where I would imagine maybe the thief in the cross is, and people like him. And I th think, well, should that be a motivator in our lives? Or should we go through our Christian lives in just thinking, well, it's sufficient to get there? I really think that what James is saying here is we need to look at what motivates us and we need to look at our hearts and it's coming back to this mirror again and look in the mirror and see where you came from just see how much it, of a sinner you were now it's harder I think for, for people like me who got saved very young I think I've said before, I used to um, um, envy those people who could stand up and say how sinful a life they lived. And then they met the Lord and their life changed. And that was a dramatic thing in their lives where they went from going in that direction to going in that direction. And they could identify with it. People like me are always saying you're born a Christian. I mean, that's nonsense, but you always feel you're brought up with uh, Christianity, your parents were Christians, and there's many of us here been in that situation. And in many ways, I've said this before, it's more difficult because you're trying to think when you look in this mirror, what was I like before? Well, if you were only a five-year-old kid or something like that when you got saved, then you weren't really that bad. And it's, but it's understanding sin. It's understanding the abhorrence of sin. And understanding that in Adam, we were dying. We were dead. And we were going to have eternal damnation. We were heading for the lake of fire. And I think it's getting your head around that and appreciating that, that God saved me from that. Just think of what it would have been like to have gone that way. Imagine what it would have been like if you hadn't been brought up with Christian parents. 
What, imagine what would have happened to you if you hadn't met the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine if you died in your sin, unrepentant. Then that's horrific. Then is there not a sense of feeling of, yeah, I'm motivated. I recognise what he's done for me. Therefore, I am going to not show God my love for him and my that peace that he's given me and my, make my feelings change. It's also for the world. It's to go out there and show the world what Christ has done for you. Look in the mirror, see what you've come to save from. Recognize that in your heart you have got the word implanted. That means it should take root. That means that the study of the word of God is it what makes you grow and it motivates you. How can you possibly be motivated to work for the Lord? How can you possibly be motivated to work at all? To show forth Christ if you never read the Bible. I remember being taught that when I was younger and it, it used to annoy me. I can never understand the Bible. There's so many difficult things in it and you flick it open there and it's, oh, I can't make head nor tail of this. What the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, yeah, it is complex because I am God. I, David King, I'm just a poor little sinner that knows nothing and was dead and has been made alive and I've just got the seed, the seed of the word of God and that's got to grow. And the only way it's going to grow is if I read that book. The only way I am going to grow as a Christian and the only way I'm going to act out a Christ-like life. The only way I'm going to show forth the fruits of my salvation in Christ Jesus is reading that book. Because that's the only way I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow. And gradually, God is going to teach me. The number of times, and it must happen to you as well, you read something you've read a dozen times and suddenly it clicks. Why did that happen? <coughs> Not that you became brainier or you became more clever or somebody had explained it to you. It's because you've grown and the seed inside you is growing and Christ is revealing himself and now he's saying, now you're ready to receive that bit. I can remember going to my father on these things and saying, I've just seen that and you'd nod, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that years and years ago. And it's all part of growing. It's new to me. It's mine, because I've just received it. It's real. But there's other older Christians, or more mature Christians, that will look at that, and they've moved on. They're in somewhere else. But that's part of the, the whole process of fruit-bearing. I just want to, in closing, just make reference to Abraham again, because I think he is such an example 
the fact that he's referred to here and Rahab, um, maybe in cases that you, it seem pretty foreign in our lifestyle, because you're thinking, you know, that you try and put yourself in the, in the shoes of Abraham and think, well, if God told me to go and sacrifice my son, you know, would I be able to do it? And the answer is no. <coughs> but then you think about it a bit more. And you think, if I had the faith of Abraham, though, and if I believed through the experiences of my life and that my trust in God was such, then maybe it was possible. Because Abraham, Abraham knew God was not going to take away what he'd promised. Abraham knew God's promises were real. And he knew that this is, there was something going to happen here. He didn't know what, but he trusted God. And he was prepared to even kill his own son in order to see how God would respond to that. There are so many different aspects today in your life when we are challenged by that that we are asked to show our faith. We are asked to put our trust, not directly like that, but in different ways. And it's been a test. And we are being tested by God all the time. Why is he doing that? Do you remember David Woods was talking about this? The testing is the proving. You need to be tested. I need to be tested like that in order for my faith to grow, for my trust to become real, to be seen in action. That's the works. That's the works that other people see because they see faith in action and they want to see how we respond to the difficult times. Do we trust in God? Are we actually enjoying it because we are waiting on God showing us how he's going to intervene in our lives and get us through that trial? But the danger, of course, is that you must make sure it doesn't become a temptation because temptations lead to sin and sin to death. And again, coming back to the spiritual side, it's the death of your Christian life. If you don't have works, your faith dies. Because you can't just be contained in your own little world thinking, I have accepted Christ as my saviour, I know there's a God, but I'm not going to do, get involved in anything else. I am not going to act like that. I'm not going to allow the Lord to use me and to reveal things to me. I'm just going to wait and enjoy this life until the Lord comes, then your faith is dead. And that's what James is saying. And you're going to have to stand before the Lord one day and give an account. Now, these mo what is it that should motivate us? What motivated Abraham was, and I read, a, you know, read in Isaiah 41, verse 8, it says that Abra the Lord called Abraham his friend. And if you look up the word, the Hebrew word, friend in Isaiah 41 and 8 
The Hebrew word also means lover. That the Lord called Abraham his lover. That is beautiful. To think that that was the relationship that Abraham had with the Lord was one of such a deep intimacy and a deep relationship that they were lovers. Abraham was a lover of God. And so was Rahab. Why do we know that? Because of their actions. That we are able to glean from the scriptures people like that. And we're able to look at them and we're able to see Christ in it. In their love for God was seen in the way they acted, in the way they were motivated, and the way they conducted themselves. They were lovers of God. And I think that is what we need to really be asking ourselves the question Are we just people who believe in God? <coughs> Are we people who are lovers of God? And by the fruit, people will know us. It's a challenge to us as individuals. It's also a challenge to us as a church. A church of God made up of priests or saints or people gathered together and what is it that people would be attracted to, to us as a church of God? They want, surely, to see lovers of God. Shall we pray?